the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to another edition of The Ride Home with John and Kathy, live from the Salem-Pittsburgh studios. And now, here are your hosts, John Hall and Kathy Emmons. Well, now, good afternoon to you. Welcome along for the Friday edition. It's the September 25th edition. And, Kath, welcome to you. So, I saw this on the calendar today, September 25th. You know what this means, don't you? No. It's three months until Christmas Day. Oh, gosh. Three months till Christmas. Oh, that's night. revolting. What do you mean revolting? Oh, I can't. Listen, in, in the COVID era, give me something here that's really big to look forward to. I'm setting my sights on Christmas Day. Good for you. To God be the glory. Oh, Holy what? what oh, I, I'll amen to God be the glory, but I don't want to think about Christmas. I want to Please. sit on my porch and have it be 81 for another three months. You got four days of that coming up, oh. don't you? Four full days. Well, this okay. is good. First day. Okay, thanks. But then comes the cold weather. Well, welcome. Uh, so uh, historic events happening uh, even as we speak right now yeah. in Washington, D.C. Uh, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg broke one final barrier today, becoming the first woman and the first Jewish American to lie in state in the United States Capitol. It's pretty cool, isn't it? Wow. That is a, is an honor. I have to say that I'm surprised that she's the first of both of those. Well, here's the deal. I mean, I would um, have thought that that would have happened before. 30 Americans have received the honor of lying in state at the Capitol. Presidents, military leaders, members of Congress, all of the men. Rosa Parks, the civil rights icon, is the only other woman granted a similar distinction. But as a private citizen, she lay in, in quotes, oh. in honor. Oh, and I get it. Senator Frank Lautenberg oh, okay. of New Jersey, who was Jewish, lay in repose in the Senate chambers in 2013, a similar but lesser honor that has been afforded to prominent senators. Oh, okay. I get it. That makes sense. So when Sandra Day O'Connor passed away, she was nope. not, she did not lay in state. That's surprising. Huh. Yes. So I wonder why Ruth, and I mean, I'm not disputing Ruth. I'm just saying I'm surprised that if Sandra wasn't. Yeah. I don't have an answer for that. I don't know. You know, I just would say maybe I would. How long do you know how many years Sandra Day O'Connor served on the Supreme Court? Well, not nearly. I don't think not nearly as many years. No. So maybe that's it. So, you know, RBG was 27 years. Yeah. You know, know, it was pretty uh, historic that she uh, sort of occupied that space all those many years. Yeah. Uh, Sandra Day O'Connor, not nearly as many. I bet you less than 10. All right. Well, no, you think? No, I don't think it was less than 10. Well, anyway, I'll look it up. All right, thank Uh, you. For all of the conversation that is going on right now about replacing Ruth Bader Ginsburg in the Supreme Court, and by conversation, I'm going light on it. Conversation. I'm putting frosting. People are screaming in the streets. I'm like a poop cake because people are losing their Mm -hmm. minds over the Supreme Court vacancy. It's like the end of the world, Mm -hmm. especially to political types on Twitter or Facebook or whatever. I mean, this is like the most unbelievable, catastrophic thing that could ever happen. And so, well, wait a minute, because people are are losing their minds, of course, because they have all these people have such a deep knowledge 
of the Supreme Court. No, no, that's right? actually not why, John. No, yeah. It isn't? No, and, and that that's why this is such a humorous thing for me to share with you on this Friday. Because, John, I read an article today by Jim Garrity in uh, the National Review, and he says this. Marquette Law School, John, has released some fascinating results of a survey measuring what Americans think and what they know about the United States Supreme Court. You ready? (laughs) This is going to be like Jay Leno, man in the street sort of thing. Prior to her death, uh, Justice Ginsburg was the most widely recognized of the nine justices, Mm -hmm. with 63% of the people saying they knew enough to have a favorable or unfavorable opinion of her. Okay. Justice Brett Kavanaugh, whose confirmation in 2018 was like another public catastrophe Mm. in our country, was almost as well known with 60% able to give an opinion about him. Mm. These are the best known justices. And in this survey at Marquette Law School, 24% were unable to give an opinion of any of the nine justices and just over half 52% could only give an opinion of only three of the justices or fewer. Okay. Now, despite extensive news coverage, documentaries, and the Hollywood biopic and all of that, um, 17% of the people who were surveyed said they had never heard of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Where? At Marquette? Mm -hmm. Yes. No, these were not students at the law school. It was done by Marquette Law School. I see. I see. I mean, because this would be in some ways like, you know, you being a minor league ball player and not naming any major league ball players that you would. Have yeah, no, it's not that. On. No, no. I think it's actually worse. Mm-hmm. I think it's actually worse because probably people from Marquette's law school aren't the ones that are flooding Twitter and Facebook with all their commentary about what's going to happen with the Supreme Court. It's regular Americans, right? Americans. Okay. Um, I have more news. Um the survey found 53% of respondents have no opinion of Sonia Sotomayor. Nothing. They have nothing to say about her at all. 55% have nothing, not one thing to say about Clarence Thomas. 58% have nothing at all to say about John Roberts. 66% nothing to say about Neil Gorsuch. 73% not a one blessed thing to say about Elena Kagan. 74% no opinion on Samuel Alito, and 81% of respondents couldn't think of a thing to say about Stephen Breyer. Not one little no, re- tiny comment. This reminds me of the voicemail we got a week or so ago where someone called to complain about you, and they didn't know, they were like, and that other guy. They, they didn't know your name. <laughs> Which is, you know, <laughs> kind of a slight. <laughs> so they, if you're on the Supreme Court and they don't know who you are, what does that mean? I they mean, don't know who you are, and they don't have any opinion on you yeah. because they don't have any. They don't know what you voted. They're they so have ill-formed. They, they don't know what your outlook is. They yeah. don't know what your judicial philosophy is. Well, that's. I mean, look, I'm not Nothing. looking. You know, you're not looking for people to be. You know, you know, legal scholars. But in these cantankerous times, you would think because people are so upset, they would at least be somewhat informed it's, about about their outrage. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you're that angry. What are you angry about? Yeah, back it up with something. I don't know. <laughs> Just something great. I, you know, I read online. That's yeah, it, right? Yeah, exactly. This is something that I'm supposed to be mad about. I better and so be. if I'm a Democrat, I'm supposed to hate 
President Trump. And if I'm a Republican, I'm supposed to hate Ruth Bader Ginsburg. See. And that's the <clears> end <throat> of the story. And it's not based on anything. All the more reason to, at least for us, to stay away from that toxic stew, uh, which is American politics of the 21st century. Because get it. what good does it do you? Okay, but I am. I, I Look, I've dropped my pen. Oh, look, I've got it back. How, and I do have something good to tell you. All right. What's that? You, Mike, yes. everyone listening. Hmm. Your weekend has begun. Oh, fabulous. It's 12 minutes past the four o'clock hour on a Friday afternoon. It's the last, you know, sort of beautiful, warm, sunny, 80 degree days of this year. Why? So, Why do you know that? All is right and well in this world. I'm saying it. Okay. I'm calling it right now. Okay. Put on, put on your turtlenecks because, you know, don't you worry. Leaves are ready to Grief. fall. Good grief. Here they All come. Right. We're stepping away, but when we mm. come back, excited to have Andy Masick, president and CEO of the Senator John Hines History Center. The topic for today, what was Pittsburgh like 100 years ago? Mm. We'll find out next. WORD. Pittsburgh's favorite Christian music is here on the weekend. With the best new music. New, new music. Graves into Gardens. New music from Elevation Worship. Who am I by Need to Breathe? Who am I? Who am I? Who am I? To be by you. And I Need a Ghost by Brandon Lake. I need a holy the best new music and Pittsburgh's favorites. Brought to you by Trinity Jewelers and Dennis Spira and Associates. 101.5 WORD. On the weekend. When does a person get rights? When a person is a person. All across our nation. Our nation is divided. In our homes, in social media, everywhere you turn. But what is at the heart of this division? In the new movie, Divided Hearts of America, Super Bowl champion and executive producer Benjamin Watson searches for the truth. This is one of the worst possible choices that any woman and her family has to make. You'll discover why the most polarizing debate of this century boils down to the sacred dignity of human life. There is no personhood under law for fetuses. We don't have that in this country. With Divided Hearts of America, you'll learn what you need to be armed to fight what divides us and come to a place of real unity with empathy, healing, and real hope. Be part of the change and watch Divided Hearts of America. Go to SalemNow.com to purchase. Use promo code FAMILY for 20% off. SalemNow.com promo code FAMILY. These times are intense for many, including pastors. Here's Dr. Brian Chappell. The storms are pretty intense right now. A pandemic, job loss, marital and family stress. Sometimes they turn on their pastors. Racial division. What do we actually do in such storms? Pastors, don't miss encouragement like that. From Brian Chappell, Senior Pastor of Grace Presbyterian Church, Peoria, Illinois. Join us for a series of virtual pastor appreciation events. You'll also hear from Dr. Paul Cannings from Living Word Fellowship in Houston. Listen, pastors, listen. The worst times that we can look at and see that all that is going on, when we understand the agenda of God, we can become great in those times of being great participants for the glory of God. The Virtual Pastors Appreciation Event. Five different 90-minute sessions free each Thursday in October. Presented by Trinity Jewelers. Register now at wordfm.com. Hey, are you guys open? Yeah, yeah, we are. Come on in. 
As businesses reopen across the nation, is your business prepared for what comes next? Salem Surround can help. COVID-19 brought America's thriving economy to a screeching halt. But now, local businesses are getting back to normal. Are you ready for the return to business and all that pent-up consumer demand? Contact Salem Surround. Learn more by logging on to surroundpittsburgh.com. Surroundpittsburgh.com. Connecting you with new customers. Would it not be fascinating to somehow go into a time portal, a wormhole, so to speak, and go back a hundred years and look at the city that we live in right now, the city that we love, the city of Pittsburgh? What was the city like in 1920? Well, to answer that question, Andy Masick joins us once again. Andy's the president and the CEO of the Senator John Hines History Center in association with the Smithsonian. Andy, welcome to the show. Hey, it's good to be with you. Great to hear from you, Andy. Talk about 100 years ago. Uh, what was our hometown like? Well, you know, Pittsburgh was very different 100 years ago. If you went downtown to the point, You'd find uh, railroad tracks and industrial buildings and warehouses. You wouldn't find a beautiful park there. And Mm -hmm. if you were trying to travel downtown, uh, the streets would have been clogged with people because there were twice as many people living here uh, as there are today. There were uh, close to 600,000 people living in the city of Pittsburgh. And, And the streets cobbled uh, though they were uh, would have been thronged with pedestrians but also uh, trolleys um, drays or uh, horse-drawn wagons and of course you'd see the occasional flivver uh, a model t made by henry ford who said you can get a car in any color you want as long as it's black (laughs) right (laughs) and and so the the city uh, looked different and it was also, it smelled different uh, because there was uh, industrial sulfurous kind of um, uh, pollutants being pumped out of the factories that lined the rivers. Uh, so much smoke, in fact, that uh, sometimes the street lights had to be turned on uh, at noon just so people could, could see. Wow. And, so, Andy, it's a, it's a totally different city than it is now. I mean, when you talk about that population, we were double the size. At one point, Pittsburgh, uh, I think, was the ninth largest city in the country. And, and I'm always fascinated, Andy, when you see the uh, the photographs of the point. I mean, it was a, a major, you know, a, a, a sort of a quagmire of factories and slaughterhouses and railroad depots. Talk, can you talk about that point? Because now, of course, it's beautiful, but it never used to be that way up until maybe 30 or 40 years ago. That's right. And the rivers were transportation corridors. So there, it, they would have been jammed with uh, barges and boats uh, transporting coal and uh, steel uh, up and down the rivers. This was a huge uh, inland port. Uh, But the thing that's really kind of interesting about today and then is what was happening in in our world. Uh, It was a time of upheaval. Uh, The city had just come off a pandemic in 1918, 1919, uh, the worst pandemic uh, of the modern era, uh, probably 50 to 100 100 million people uh, died worldwide. 
uh, maybe 650,000 in the United States, 4,500 in Allegheny County. Uh, and people were just about, in, in 1920, they were just hanging up their masks because everyone was masked for, for a year and a half and uh, they stayed cocooned at home and they were just starting to come out. And this was the same time World War I had just ended in 1919. And so the soldiers were coming home, those who survived the horrors of the trenches in France, and the Roaring Twenties were starting. And they were starting in a way that, uh, well, people hadn't imagined would be possible because all of a sudden alcohol was prohibited. Prohibition started in 1920. And beer, alcohol, and uh, hard liquor, uh, or uh, beer, wine, and hard liquor were all uh, banned. Uh, you couldn't sell or transport them. You could drink them, but, but you couldn't buy them <laughs> or, uh, or transport them. Uh, the Volstead Act uh, made that possible. And then at the same time that was happening, women were coming. This was the age of women. Women got the right to vote for the first time in 1920. And they had worked for a hundred years for that to happen. And now finally women's voices were being heard. Uh, mayor Babcock, the mayor of Pittsburgh, uh, put a woman on his cabinet, first one ever uh, in 1920. And so uh, it, the world was, was changing in radical ways, even fashion. Women started wearing short skirts and bobbing their hair. Uh, you know, they cut their hair as short as their ears. People were horrified uh, at the thought of women cutting their hair. That was, that was a, a big deal in the newspapers and magazines really? of the day. Mm -hmm. Well, so we think there's a revolution underway now, but uh, what you're describing 100 years ago was, certainly was cataclysmic socially. It really was. The Roaring Twenties were named for good reason. They, it was a, a, a sea change, a, a radical shift in the way people saw the world. And of course, crime uh, started to um, emerge in an organized way. You know, we hear about mobsters and Scarface and Al Capone and Elliot Ness, and mm. uh, that, that was for real. Um, the uh, police departments felt outgunned uh, by uh, all of uh, these uh, gangs or, or mobsters who were mostly in the illegal liquor business. Uh, just as we have illegal drug uh, trade and gangs today, uh, then they had uh, illegal gangs or mobs uh, who were controlling the liquor trade. And there were speakeasies. You know, you could go out and get a drink, but you just couldn't do it openly. You had to knock on a door and look around and say, Joe sent me. And then uh, someone would let you into a secret compartment where there'd be um, uh, illegal saloons or speakeasies. And in fact, uh, a woman in McKee's, uh, uh, McKee's port uh, was credited with coining the term speakeasy. When the, the cops were coming around, uh, she'd quiet her customers by saying, speak easy, boys, speak easy. Right. 
Isn't that fascinating? We're talking to Andy Masick. Andy's with us from the uh, Senator John Hines History Center in association with the Smithsonian Institution, where he is the president and the CEO. Um, Andy, you know, we suffer with something called, I think, the tyranny of the immediate, which is that we think that everything that's happening to us right now is the most important thing that's ever happened in the history of the globe. Uh, talking to you always kind of reorders our perspective because we realize that, you know, every era has something amazing happening. But just comparing 2020 and 1920 is really fascinating. I mean, because because even if you reckon, take a step back and say, okay, let's look, let's be relative. There have been a lot of shocking and amazing things that have happened in 2020. So in 1920, what do you feel like was the, like if people are going to look back on 2020, are they going to say the pandemic was the most, uh, thing of most most impact would they talk about race riots if you look back at 1920 what would you say are the top two wow that's that's a really good question it's a good point too about sort of presentism you know we think about our own time and think it's the most important but in 1920 there was a communication revolution afoot. Mm. Uh, mm. you know we talk about social media and the internet and uh, cell phones and things like that. Well, in 1920, is actually just about now, is November 2nd of 1920, that uh, the first commercial radio uh, station came online. That was KDKA uh, Radio. And the first, uh, the first broadcast of a presidential election occurred. It was the Harding-Cox election. And people here in Pittsburgh got the election results real time. They didn't have to wait 24 hours for the newspaper to come out to read about it. They could uh, tune in their crystal sets. There were probably only a thousand of them in town, but uh, whole churches turned out to listen to someone's radio uh, set uh, or, you know, all the kids in the neighborhood would gather around in someone's living room and, uh, and they heard the election results real time. And then a guy named Frank Conrad, who worked for Westinghouse here in Pittsburgh, uh, they had set up a little shack on top of the roof of one of the Westinghouse buildings uh, in East Pittsburgh at the Turtle Creek uh, plant. And they had put a 100 watt uh, transmitter up there, 100 watt. You know, think about that. That's, that's like a light bulb. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so uh, they, they, transmitted these things. And then they said, you know what? We could transmit church services and uh, music and sporting events. And uh, we can even talk about the news that's going on right now. Well, modern radio and modern communications was invented in Pittsburgh in 1920 with the first commercial radio station. Oh, so that fabulous. was a communication revolution. Mm. Wow. So I'm glad you brought up the name Frank Conrad in, in this this sort of a shack. Andy, there's been uh, this this piece of, you know, housing or whatever you want to call it has been in storage for a long time. What do you know about that? Well, I know that, um, see, Frank Conrad in 1916 started uh, his own little radio uh uh, set up or station or lab, he called it, in his garage. It was a little brick garage. And there are radio enthusiasts here in Pittsburgh who have dismantled that garage and saved every brick of it uh, and hope someday to resurrect it uh, someplace. Okay. Uh, but I, 
I do think that uh, this Pittsburgh uh, owns a piece of uh, that communication revolution and that uh, radio broadcast uh, history that we should be proud of. And that's why we have uh, those K call letters like uh, KDKA uh, uh, years later, I think seven years later, the uh, the nascent uh, uh, FCC, the Federal Communications Commission, decided, oh wow, this is this is getting big. There are now thousands of stations. We've got to divvy it up. So let's say uh, everything west of the Mississippi River will have a K in front of it, and everything uh, east of the Mississippi will have a W. But hmm. uh, Pittsburgh is uh, grandfathered in with KDKA and KQV. Uh, these are uh, uh, testament to the fact that they were the first uh, before the rules had even crystallized yet. Wonderful. Andy Masick from the Senator John Hines History Center in the Strip District. Andy, before you leave us, talk to us about the History Center. You are open, are you not? We sure are. Uh, The History Center and Sports Museum in the Strip District are open. We've got a great Smithsonian exhibit uh, featuring 100 portraits of Pittsburghers from the Smithsonian Institution. And Fort Pitt Museum is open too. On weekends, you can throw tomahawks down there. Everything is set up to be sanitary and sanitized and safe. Uh, And if you want to get out of town, go to Meadowcroft in Avella in Washington County. That's the oldest site of human uh, habitation in North America, 275 acres of outdoor learning and fun for the whole family. Wow. Andy, we miss seeing you in person in the studio. We can't wait till those days can return again. But uh, until that day presents itself, we're happy to be talking to you from our spare bedrooms. Hey, I miss you guys too. Wear those masks, be safe, and I'll see you at the History Center sometime soon, I hope. Excellent. We look forward to it. Hey, do yourself a favor. Take the family down to the History Center. You'll spend hours in Pittsburgh's attic uncovering all sorts of secrets, the Senator John Hines History Center. We'll take a break. It's our weekly feature called This or That. Stay tuned. It's the ride home here on Word FM. everybody. It's me, Marsha, from the Springhouse. Isn't this a fabulous time of year, especially on our dairy farm in Washington County, PA? The pumpkins are turning, the corn is waving in the wind, and the hog quarters are on the pit every Sunday through the end of October. That's right. It's time for our annual 4-H hog roast. Mom bought a bunch of 4-H hogs that we will be roasting over the open pit outside all morning long. Alongside that tender, tasty, charred pork, we'll be serving pork and kraut, barbecue pork, hand-peeled mashed potatoes with pork drippings gravy, sage stuffing, baked beans, homemade applesauce, and all kinds of family recipe fall veggies and casseroles. We'll even have live music by local musicians. To keep the crowd spread out and everybody healthy this year, we have two jumbo tents set up outside too. And the pumpkin patch hay rides will run 11 to 5 all weekend. Good old-fashioned fall fun and feasting on the farm. Come join us, springhousemarket.com. 
When it comes to higher education, it's worth considering a Christian university or college, one that reaffirms students' faith instead of tearing it down. Research shows that students who attend a Christian college can become significantly more committed to their faith, and that's an important investment to make. You care about the type of people who are teaching the classes and the content and perspective of the courses just as much as you do about the strength of the academics. It matters that Christian faith is supported and shared. Find out about many schools at once by a Attending the Free Christian College Fair with representatives of colleges and universities from across North America. Start planning now. Take advantage of the opportunity to meet with representatives from top Christian colleges throughout the country. Learn about financial aid, scholarship opportunities, and more. Take your first step to a Christian college education at Orchard Hill Church in Wexford, Saturday, September 26th from 11 to 1. That's the Pittsburgh Christian College Fair, Saturday, September 26th at Orchard Hill Church in Wexford from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Please adhere to COVID-19 guidelines. First Presbyterian Church is a beacon of light and love to this community. The message that I hear sustains me for the whole week. I love this church because of the diversity and the music and the people. The incredible beauty of the space. A warm, welcoming congregation. The people are amazing and truly love one another and Christ. And our pastor preaches the gospel. I want everybody in Pittsburgh to come and experience. First Presbyterian Church of Pittsburgh in the heart of the city with the city in its heart. Welcome back to Customize and Save with Liberty Mutual Insurance Company, the game show where you only pay for what you need. And we're out of time. Only pay for what you need at LibertyMutual.com. Liberty, 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 Liberty. We are everywhere. On your radio at 101.5 WORD FM Pittsburgh at WordFM.com, the Word FM mobile app by heart, tune in and at Radio.com. Tonight, mainly clear with a low 56. Tomorrow, clouds and sunshine with a high 77. Tomorrow night, clear to partly cloudy and mild with a low 60. Sunday, warm with the temperature approaching the record of 82, last reached in 2019, with sun and clouds and a high 81. With your AccuWeather forecast, I'm Gregory Patrick. It's time now for This or That. It's our weekly feature here on The Ride Home. Kath and I have compiled 20 different things. It breaks down to 10 things each we're going to ask each other. And basically, this, do you prefer this, or do you prefer that? This or that. Kath, uh, would you like to go first this week or shall I? I'd like you to go first this week, John. Okay, very nice. Mix it up. Here is my mix, the September 25th edition of This or That. Calf, mm. whispering a secret to your daughter or hearing a secret whispered from your daughter? Oh, I mean, ser- clearly hearing a secret whispered from my daughter. Okay. How about singing joyfully at the top of your lungs or laughing hard with friends? I'd still go with laughing hard. Okay. Shrimp scampi or... Homemade chocolate chips. Oh, now what? It, how, how am I? This or that? Scampy. Scampy. Shrimp yeah, scampy it was, over the it chocolate chips. It was hard. It was hard. Right. I still smelling, don't know if I made the right choice. Smelling a warm pie. Smelling 
a baby. You got to go with the baby. All right. Doing eight hours of paperwork. A paper cut. Oh. <laughs> I'll, I'll go eight hours of paperwork. I'd go 16 okay. to avoid the paper cut. Sitting outside in your yard. Sitting by your fireplace. Well, since I don't have a fireplace, John, I think I'll pick sitting in my yard. Looking at old family photos, taking new family photos. Uh, I go looking at old family photos. Mm -hmm. Reading your horoscope. Reading about your Enneagram number. (laughs) That's awesome. Uh, I have to go Enneagram. I have to, even though Mm -hmm. I don't want to, but I'll have to. Breakfast in bed. Or 2 a.m. streaming on the couch. Oh, 2 a.m. streaming in a hot minute. Oh. Wearing a mask in front of a church congregation. (laughs) Or having a little baby throw up on your new dress. I'll go with the throw up on the new dress. (laughs) Having intestinal illness at a friend's house. (laughs) Or laying outside the boss's door in writhing pain. Wow. That is hard to pick. I I don't know what to say. This is the first time I've truly been stumped on this mm. or that. Um, I feel like I have to choose intestinal illness at a friend's house. Very good. Very good. That is my edition, the September 25th edition of This or That. Oh, that was a tough one. Okay, John, my This or That for you is inspired by your uh, physical therapy appointment last night. Mm, it went you. better yeah. than you expected. Yeah. Okay. So I give you uh, a list of things you doubted initially, but ended up being at least marginal. Okay. Okay, are you ready? Yep. Stephen Brault as a Pirates pitcher or shoulder replacement surgery? Uh, Shoulder replacement surgery. Wow. Make your own pizza or looking at snow tires on Craigslist? (laughs) Making your own pizza. Uh Okay. Uh, number three, shopping at Aldi, John, or Jello with fruit cocktail. Hmm. Jello with fruit cocktail. Because it's because it really is. It's better than you think it's going to be. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Continuing our list of things you doubted initially, but ended up being at least marginal: the grapes of wrath by John Steinbeck, mm-hmm. or giant eagle potato chips. Oh, the grapes of wrath by John Steinbeck. All right. Well, you don't have to diss them. All right. Number five, Top Gear, moving from the BBC to Amazon or owning a cat. Owning a cat. Number six, Sammy Hagar in Van Halen or Phil Collins moving to vocals in Genesis. Phil Collins to Genesis. Number seven, John, Amazon Prime or owning a minivan. Oh, owning a minivan. Really? Things you doubted initially but ended up being at least marginal. Number eight, Ross Park Mall or living in a funeral home? Uh, living in a funeral home. <laughs> oh. Number nine, teaching your son to drive mm. or getting sober? <laughs> getting sober. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And the last thing you doubted initially but ended up being at least marginal Broadcasting the ride home from your spare bedroom or spray cheese. Oh, broadcasting the ride home from your spare bedroom. Hey. Times 10, calf. Spray hey. cheese. Okay. All right. That's this edition of This or That here on the Ride Home. What's coming up next? Oh, 
This is good. We're going to talk about theology and fashion. Stick around for that conversation. One hundred one point five W O R D. Coming up on Love Worth Finding. We live in a society that is hurting, and we've got to bind the wounds up with salve and not with salt. They need the love of Jesus Christ. The world is looking for some answers. We need a Christian worldview that's backed up by a Christian lifestyle. Don't miss Adrian Rogers' series, Christian Worldview, this month on Love Worth Finding. Tonight at 11 on 101.5 WORD. Okay, some good news during a challenging time for everybody, and this could really help. You may know hundreds of thousands of people have already made the switch to MediShare, which is the affordable alternative to health insurance. And with so many people looking at how they pay for health care right now, seeing premiums going up or the cost of COBRA plans, MediShare has extended their special offer, and a lot of people have taken advantage of it. Simply apply by September 30th, and they will waive your new member fee. That's $170 savings. And, of course, that's just a start. The typical family saves $500 a month after making the switch. MediShare is a Christian community that shares each other's health care costs, and it's worked beautifully for decades. I'll give you the number here in a second, and if you call, you can get a price within two minutes. Just tell them the promo code SHARE to get your additional savings. Here it is. Call 844-45-BIBLE. That's 844-45-BIBLE. 844-45-BIBLE. Where are we headed? Globalism? A new world order? A singular government power? If we yield over and decide that America is not unique, it's not special, it's not extraordinary, we no longer are the United States of America. We're just a piece of a bigger government. And what about prophecy? Is the United States of America part of God's great plan for the world? Now, a new documentary, Trump 2024, the world after Trump, takes a look at what the world could look like in 2024 with or without President Trump. Trump 2024 features interviews with Franklin Graham, Mike Huckabee, Dennis Prager, and yours truly, Eric Metaxas. The Messiah will not arrive on Air Force One. Watch Trump 2024, the world after Trump on SalemNow.com. That's SalemNow.com. Trump 2024. Go to SalemNow.com to watch Trump 2024. That's SalemNow.com. Hi, this is Jim Daly. All human life has intrinsic value. We're all made in the image of God, worthy of love, care, and protection. Let's stand together to help the world see life. Join the movement to end abortion and love every heartbeat. And join us online for Sea Life 2020, a transformational pro-life event on September 26th. Learn more at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash life. Like a a lot of school kids here in the city of Pittsburgh, I went to parochial school, which means from first grade through eighth grade, I was taught by the nuns. And of course, in that era, the nuns and their habits meant a lot of different things. There was a lot of fear, a lot of respect, 
uh, you see a woman in a habit and, you know, now it, it's such a rare thing. But in those instances where I do see a nun wearing a habit, I mean, my body gets a little tight. I get a little rigid. And I also get a little emotional as well because I, I, I loved it. I loved it so much. And so there's something to be said about fashion and religion, about fashion and faith. That's why we're so happy we saw Dr. Robert Cavolo, who has a new workout called Fashion Theology, the dynamic relationship between theology and fashion. And Robert uh, is a cultural theologian living in L.A. He has served as a scholar at the Visual Faith Institute of Art and Architecture, faculty at the Tory Honors Institute, currently directs the Center for Pastoral Residence at Christ Church Sierra Madre. Robert, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's our pleasure. Okay, Robert. So as John was talking about uh, growing up in a parochial school, by the way, John, did you wear a uniform? I did. Okay. So as John was wearing a uniform, Robert, I was doing the opposite. I was um, angsting every single night about exactly how I would appear fashion-wise at the Highcliffe Elementary School. (laughs) So now John and I living uh, different lives between the ages of 5 and 12, I'd say. Yeah, very different lives. And and you're doing something very different than those nuns. Right. <laughs> yes. Yeah, the gauchos I wore on my very first day of third grade, which I remember clearly, they were a, a denim pinstripe thing. Yeah. Uh, definitely different than what John was looking at. But I got to tell you, as I was growing up, I mean, it's not that – I mean, I thought – I was very concerned about what I was wearing, but I don't think I would ever have thought that there was any link between fashion and theology. Really? Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I have to tell you, I'd never thought that either until uh, a series of strange things happened that caused me to ask that question. What is the okay. link? All uh, right, so yeah, t- tell I mean, us I, what happened. Yeah, you know, I was a college pastor in Long Beach, California. Cal State Long Beach is a big fashion studies program. Mm-hmm. And there were Christians in my college group that were in that program, and they wanted to understand how does the Christian faith relate to fashion? And I had no idea how do you, I mean, you know, we've heard things like be modest or, you know, don't blow all your money on your clothing. You know, you, right. you need to, it's God's money. And so you think be wise and all that, but I had nothing else to say. And uh, so there was that, and there was, you know, friends in the, in the, um, in the fashion industry. And, uh, and then there's, and then there's just a part of me that's also kind of a, you know, I believe Jesus is Lord. I'm a pastor. I believe he's Lord of everything. Every square inch of this world he created and I thought, well, what about those inches that go around our waists? You know, <laughs> what does mm-hmm. Jesus have to say uh, about that? So that kind of got me interested in the subject uh, of fashion and theology. Right. Okay. So then in, in your work, Robert, how far back do you go? What's the first instance of that intersection of fashion and faith? Well, you know, it really got traction when I decided to get into a Ph.D. program in theology because I just wanted to deepen my understanding uh, of my faith as a pastor. And I was snooping around, and I came across a lecture that a theologian named Abraham Kuyper gave in the 1860s in Amsterdam. It was on the relationship between the rise of fashion in Europe and the spread of secularization. And he had all these things. I never even thought of anything like this. And I thought, are you kidding me? And actually, um, more recently, a very important intellectual uh, uh, named Charles Taylor came out with a book called A Secular Age. And this is in 2007. He made the same claim, that there's this interesting relationship between fashion 
and secularization. They're not saying it's one-to-one, but they're saying that there is a, a dynamic relationship between Christianity and fashion and how the, the presence or absence of Christianity in a culture and its relationship to fashion. So what kind of relationship, what kind of relationship, I mean, is it an inverse relationship that the more, that the more people are concerned with fashion, the less they're concerned with Christianity or faith issues or the reverse? You know what? Both of these, uh, this theologian from 1860 and this more contemporary uh, Christian uh, um, philosopher have made the claim, which I make in my book, which it's, it's more than that. It's more complex than that. It's actually very interesting. It's quite fascinating. And, and really, the only way you're going to understand that is, um, is that you realize just basically what fashion is. I mean, there are actually some people that see the rise of fashion, and I make this argument that the rise of fashion in some ways is accredited to theologians. I make the argument that John Calvin actually helped the rise of fashion uh, in my book. And so, so theology, Christian theology has it isn't just a one-way relationship. There's lots of layers to the relationship, and there's lots of things happening. It's really, some things are contested, some things there's resonances, and in some ways it's completely other what's happening between theology and fashion. So it's really, it's really fascinating. Hmm. So it, has there been instances where fashion has mimicked theology fashion? I mean, I mean, there's never been a trend where people are walking around like priests or nuns and thinking this is couture. <laughs> well, there hasn't. There have been uh, ways in which theology has influenced um, fashion. You know, the stripe is a really interesting case in point because the stripe uh, was seen as deeply diabolical. You know, there's that passage in Leviticus uh, that says not to mix two kinds of cloth. And so Christians began being suspicious of the stripe. And if you look at paintings from the Middle Ages, you'll see that anyone wearing a stripe is seen as diabolical. Um, and then, you know, with, and then the stripe was brought back in by the French, uh, and it, in many ways was a, an attempt to almost undercut um, the Christian worldview, you know, because the stripe has no foreground or background. And as a result, it's seen as kind of a monochromatic, very flat way of viewing the universe in which there isn't a spiritual world or more to the world than just what we see. So, so there are instances where the Bible influences dress and influences how people perceive of different textile patterns. Um, and you can see that, but the relationship is actually, uh, you keep bringing up nuns and monks and, and all this. I would actually <laughs> just push back a little bit, John, and say that I don't see their outfits as fashion at all. I see those as uniforms, and uniforms are not the same thing as fashion. I see. Um, uniforms are static, and they, and they actually are anti-fashion. They're, they're not fashionable at all. Hmm. Well, that's interesting. Interesting. All right, we're going to, we're talking about theology and fashion with Robert Cavolo. Um, Robert, I... I <laughs> You know, I went after I graduated from um, undergrad. I, I worked for a couple years, and then I decided to go back um, and go to art school. And um, when I did that, I kind of opened up my mind to a whole different sector of study than certainly I had ever been immersed in before. It was really grossly intimidating um, when I started because I it really was because I realized that. Um, that I had lived, you know, multiple decades of life without ever really noticing what was around me. You know, when I had my first drawing class, I remember my first uh, teacher telling me, "It's not. I'm not going to teach you how to draw. I'm going to uh-huh. teach you how to see." And I realized that that was going to be that. You know, 
if I would have started 30 years ago, I was still going to be behind because it was such a tall mountain to climb. Um, but yeah. I, but you know, as I was in that world for a while, I realized, you know, I started thinking about God's prescription when he was asking people to put the tabernacle uh, together or God's prescription for the temple and how particular he was that there were people who were actual craftsmen that were doing the work, you know, people yeah. that knew how to make something beautiful, that that was actually yeah. important to God. And I realized that maybe there was a whole part of the world that should have been important to me before then that hadn't been. So why don't you talk about that? You know, just the general perspective of, of, I don't know, maybe how God looks at beautiful things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, that is true. You know, um, with the, with the uh, priestly garments in the tabernacle, those were constructed by someone who was given a special um, gift by the Holy Spirit to be an artist filled with the Holy Spirit. And the, and those priestly garments were charged. They were charged. So priests could only wear them when they were doing their priestly duty. And so clothing can be seen as charged, and it's very much ornate, and beauty is a big part of that. So, yeah, I do talk about the how, how fashion works as an art form. Of course, it works in many ways. It's a form of communication and political power. It's how we tell stories about our lives. But it's also an art form. And um, it's really important that it's it's seen as something Fashion, typically, we think of it in terms of, is it beautiful? And in fact, there was an exhibit at the Met in 2018 called Heavenly Bodies, Fashion oh, right, and the Catholic sure. Imagination. Yeah, right, that yeah. was the yeah, largest we spent a lot of time, exhibit. We spent a lot of time talking about that on the show. Oh, you did? Okay, so now that's uh-huh. the largest exhibit in the history of the Met, and they're talking about fashion and theology there. So it's actually a, it's actually a subject that people are curious about in our, in our culture, even non-Christians are talking about this. But yeah, fashion does work these days as an art form. And, and, and you know, Christians have typically understood art in terms of the register of beauty, because we think of it as reflecting God's divine beauty. But fashion oftentimes, and you think about that exhibit in particular, isn't working so much off of beauty as much as it's working off of rich meaning, like sites of meaning. And so there's, so fashion oftentimes, uh, you know, you can, like if someone's wearing a punk t-shirt, they're not really trying to look beautiful, but they're definitely trying to express something. Maybe they're pushing against society or whatever, you know, the Amish, I mean, the Amish, uh, they're not trying to look incredibly beautiful, um, though they do try to look, you know, adorned or whatever, but they're, they're also transgressing kind of the, the mm-hmm. dominant society and even, even fashion itself. They're more like those, those nuns and monks. So, yeah, so fashion works as an art form, and, um, and yet it's a, it's a unique kind of art form. And I make the argument in my book that if you can understand how fashion works as an art form uh, as a Christian, then you'll understand how to understand modern art itself because it works more like modern art than it does like classical art, like Baroque art. Interesting. Yeah. Robert Cavola is with us. His new work, Fashion Theology, the dynamic relationship between theology and fashion through the rich history of Christian thought. Robert, um, just take a second and, and, you know, talk about people. So obviously, you know, here we are talking about fashion and theology. Um, What about people who would have an interest in this? I mean, you're drawing a different crowd here because it is a really uh, unique intersection. Yeah, it is. I mean, on one hand, it's for anyone who's interested in fashion, you know, and but especially Christians interested in fashion, I think, would, would be very curious about the book. Um, it's also for anyone in fashion studies, but especially if you're a Christian and you're doing fashion merchandising or fashion studies, this is really the only full book out there that is going to help you understand how to think about fashion studies as a Christian. 
And then it's just an interesting book as a theology book, because I go into these different theologians, Augustine and Aquinas and Calvin and Kuiper and Karl Barth and others, and I show such an interesting angle on their life, because the, the shocker of the whole book, I'll just let the cat out of the bag, is these theologians had a tremendous amount to say about fashion. They took fashion very serious. And my whole point of the book is, is that we as Christians, we need to actually start taking fashion serious. The university does, the Met does, and we need to have more adequate ways of understanding what fashion is, uh, because Christians historically it. have said it's very important. All right, Robert, we're out of time. But boy, this has been a real pleasure talking to you, Dr. Robert Cavolo. The new book, Fashion Theology, The Dynamic Relationship Between Theology and Fashion Through the Rich History of Christian Thought. This story is called The Ugly Truth About Timeshare. If you think you've done your family a favor by buying a timeshare, you need my help. Hello, I'm Chuck McDowell, CEO and founder of Wesley Financial Group. Ten years ago, I started helping folks cancel their timeshare contracts, and in the process started what's now called the timeshare cancellation industry. Timeshare is the only thing that you can buy that you can't tell me how much it's going to cost or when it's going to end. When you buy a timeshare, you give them a blank check to fill out any amount they want for annual maintenance and assessment fees. Sound crazy? The crazy thing is, this never ends. Stop the insanity today. Call my office now. I guarantee if we can't cancel your timeshare contract, you'll pay nothing. Were you lied to when buying a timeshare and want out? Get the facts about timeshare cancellation. Call Wesley now for your free information kit. 800-881-4242. 800-881-4242. Tonight, the U.N. is warning that the pandemic is putting the world at risk of widespread famines of biblical proportions. Even as we here in the U.S. continue to struggle with the coronavirus... In poor countries like Haiti and Guatemala, COVID-19 is also creating a food crisis, which is leading to starvation. Angel Loma is with Food for the Poor. Almost every single one of our partners said that food is the greatest need right now. But the church is rising to meet this need. The thought of any child going without food just breaks my heart. You know, God has blessed us all beyond what we can imagine. we got to do what we can to help especially kids that don't have anything to eat. Join 101.5, Word FM, and Food for the Poor in rescuing children. Just $37 provides six months of life-saving food for one child. How many children can you save? From your cell phone, dial pound 250 and say the keyword hope. Dial pound 250 from your cell and say hope. Or click the red emergency food banner at wordfm.com. You've worked hard to provide for your family, but what happens when you're no longer here? You know, when people plan for retirement, they sometimes forget to consider their financial legacy. Your assets should go where you want them to go, not where some probate court decides. So why not be proactive? Kevin Bach can show you how to pass your assets along to your loved ones in the most tax-efficient way possible. Call Kevin at 724-837-3553 or online at IntegrityRetirementSolutions.com. Insurance and annuities offered through Kevin Bach. PA Insurance License number 352896. Hi, this is Robert Jeffers, pastor of First Baptist Church in Dallas and Bible teacher on Pathway to Victory. Let me encourage you to be in prayer about the upcoming election. Then make sure you prepare. Educate yourself on the agendas of the two parties and make sure you're registered. Finally, make your plan to vote, whether at the voting booth, by absentee, or vote by mail. Your voice is your vote. Your voice needs to be heard on November 3rd. 
Well, of course, things are heating up politically, which is transferring to supporters of either candidate, presidential candidate, putting yard signs out, mm-hmm. and then some nefarious people stealing said signs. It's gotten the attention of state and local police because they have issued warnings that stealing political campaign signs from private property is indeed a crime. Mm-hmm. Sheeler mm-hmm. and Upper St. Clair Police. Mm-hmm. Last week posted on Facebook that charges could be filed if someone is caught stealing a sign. Quote, it has come to the attention of the Shaler Township Police Department that several political yard signs have been stolen throughout the township. We would like to remind everyone that trespassing onto someone's property to steal anything at all is a crime and you will be prosecuted. Mm-mm. Okay. I mean, I tend to look at that as more like just political tomfoolery, but I'm well, not the one making the laws. You know, my sister currently has four, four political signs in her front yard. Four. Which, oddly enough, she paid for. Are they all for the same person? Yes. Oh, well, that's commitment to a candidate. She paid for these signs. (laughs) And I thought, well, you know, you just go to your rep and they'd give you these signs. Now you got to go and order them from Amazon. They're coming from China. If I'm a candidate, I'm not going to ask people to pay to advertise for me. I think it's lame. Maybe they're weatherproof or some sort of special. Yeah, whatever. I don't know. Whatever matter. Anyway, don't steal the signs, okay? Just vote instead. One hundred one point five WORDFM Pittsburgh on your smart speaker by saying "Play the Word Pittsburgh" and on your phone via the Word FM mobile app, iHeart, TuneIn, and at Radio.com. With SRN News, I'm John Scott. Federal authorities have arrested two men on terror charges for allegedly plotting to bomb or shoot up sites, including the White House and Trump Tower in New York City, in attacks inspired by the Islamic State group. Jalen Christopher Molina of Texas and Christopher Sean Matthews of South Carolina taken into custody. Google's parent company has reached a $310 million settlement and a shareholder lawsuit over its treatment of allegations of sexual misconduct by executives. Governor Ron DeSantis has lifted all restrictions on restaurants and other businesses in Florida in a move to reopen that state's economy. Stocks closing with solid gains today, the latest shift in a recent stretch of turbulence for the market. The Dow picked up 358 points, the Nasdaq ahead 241, and the S&P gained 51. This is SRN News. Hey, pastors, how are you reaching your community? Here's John MacArthur from Grace to You. I don't need to recreate the truth. I don't need to innovate anything. I need to follow the example of those who have gone before and have been profoundly blessed by God. Pastor, don't miss encouragement like that from John MacArthur. Join us for a series of virtual pastor appreciation events. You'll also hear from Alan Jackson of World Outreach Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, speaking about the pandemic. Christ in you enables you to be more than a conqueror. We're going to face challenges and difficulties. We're going to come through this season. We'll do better than that. We will flourish. The Virtual Pastors Appreciation Event. Five different 90-minute sessions free each Thursday in October with 10 speakers and musical guests. Be encouraged, equipped, and edified. Presented by Trinity Jewelers. Sponsored in part by RPTS and Geneva College. Register now at wordfm.com. 
Join Pittsburgh Theological Seminary online each Wednesday in October at 7.30 p.m. for the combined McClure Lectures and World Mission Initiatives Month of Mission series titled Jesus Christ and the Dividing Wall, Race and God's Mission. You'll hear keynotes from the Rev. Dr. Brenda Salter-McNeil, the Rev. Jonathan Wilson-Hartgrove, and Dr. David Kant. The event is free to all who register. Learn more at pts.edu. Okay, some good news during a challenging time for everybody, and this could really help. You may know hundreds of thousands of people have already made the switch to MediShare, which is the affordable alternative to health insurance. And with so many people looking at how they pay for health care right now, seeing premiums going up or the cost of COBRA plans, MediShare has extended their special offer, and a lot of people have taken advantage of it. Simply apply by September 30th, and they will waive your new member fee. That's $170 savings. And, of course, that's just a start. The typical family saves $500 a month after making the switch. MediShare is a Christian community that shares each other's health care costs, and it's worked beautifully for decades. I'll give you the number here in a second, and if you call, you can get a price within two minutes. Just tell them the promo code SHARE to get your additional savings. Here it is. Call 844-45-BIBLE. That's 844-45-BIBLE. 844-45-BIBLE. Drusky Entertainment proudly presents Skillet in Concert, October 3rd. 7.30 p.m. at the Starlight Drive-In, Butler, PA, with special guest Colton Dixon. Drive-in tickets available now at druskyent.com. Gates open at 5.30, rain or shine. Skillet, October 3rd at the Starlight Drive-In, Butler, PA. Visit Drusky Entertainment for details at druskyent.com. Tonight... Mainly clear with a low 56. Tomorrow, clouds and sunshine with a high 77. Tomorrow night, clear to partly cloudy and mild with a low 60. Sunday, warm with a temperature approaching the record of 82 last reached in 2019, with sun and clouds and a high 81. With your AccuWeather forecast, I'm Gregory Patrick. Welcome to another edition of The Ride Home with John and Kathy, live from the Salem-Pittsburgh studios. And now, here are your hosts, John Hall and Kathy Emmons. Hey, good afternoon. Thanks for coming along for the 5 o'clock hour of the Friday edition of The Ride Home. Kath, good to see you. That was a jam-packed first hour, was it not? It sure was. And if anyone missed uh, any of that 4 o'clock hour, you can go to wherever you get your podcasts and find uh, The Ride Home podcast. They're available to you conclusion of today's show very nice uh are you a agatha christie fan i have read some agatha christie books i don't know if i'm a fan i feel like you have to be like you have to be at over 50 60 percent to be a big fan what do you mean to have read to have read 50 or 60 percent of her books to say yeah, I'm i think a so fan. yeah i think okay. so all right, well, I was you know, uh, doing some reading here, and I stumbled upon a piece about Agatha Christie. She was born September 15th, 1890, which means that last week would have been her 130th birthday. Wow. Uh, Dame Agatha Christie, she wrote 66 novels, 
14 short story collections, six romance novels, the world's longest running play, which is The Mousetrap, which was performed in London's West End from its opening 1952 until it was canceled earlier this year due to COVID. She has sold more than 2 billion copies, outsold only by the Bible and Shakespeare. Holy smokes. Now, here's the weird thing. I mean... For someone who, when you see her, when you see her, she kind of looks like Miss Marples in a way. Yes. She created two of crime's most memorable detectives, Hercule Poirot Mm -hmm. and Miss Jane Marple. She also invented many classic crime tropes, including the murderer who is the unlikeliest suspect, Mm -hmm. falsifying a victim's time of death, the double bluff, clues hidden in plain sight, and detectives who gather suspects for the denouement, the right. sort of climax. Mm-hmm. Sure. These and other tropes have become essential conventions of detective stories thanks to Agatha Christie and her lasting legacy. Um, I got a list of uh, some 10, uh, at least the, the 10 best, according to um, uh, a journal that I read called Forma, which is about okay. books and poetry and whatnot. Uh, any any connection to this? Uh, Endless Night is number 10. Do you know this? Uh, I don't. I've, I, I was just looking through the list. Yeah. I, I see that I have only read three of her books. Three of the of the 66 or three that, of the top 20? No, three of the I, three, at least of the 66. Okay. I don't know if I've seen 66, but I'm just looking at the list and I'm mm-hmm. I'm not in great shape here, but please go on because okay. I, I was want a book recommendation. Number 10, A Murder is Announced. Okay. Uh, 1950. Um, Agatha Christie's Five Little Pigs. I, I've mm-hmm. read this. Yeah. Um, Agatha Christie's Curtain. That's uh, Poirot, which okay. I love. Do you love? Do you ever watch Poirot on? You oh know, yeah, sure. Yeah, Masterpiece Theater. Sure. Uh, Agatha Christie Sleeping Murder, which is uh, I've not read that. Mm-mm. Agatha Christie The ABC Murders. Yeah, I've, I've read that. Okay. Uh, Agatha Christie, of course you know this, The Murder on the Orient Express, which I've never read. Nor, what? Nor seen the film what there's two of them mm-hmm. two versions one just recently was released last year and then the classic well i think goes back to the 70s both so, of them well worth watching okay so the one that was that was just released yeah. uh within the last like, three years kenneth branagh yeah. I, it got really panned well it's a good film you liked it still yes i did so, okay yeah. mm-hmm. Um, Death on the Nile, which was also yes, uh, that's another one that i read and apparently kenneth branagh is doing an adaptation of that as well hmm. okay um the Murder of Roger Ackroyd, which uh, this journal considers the number two best okay. of the Agatha Christie's, and the number one uh, Agatha Christie, and then there were that's none. That's the one. That that's the one of hers. It creeped me really out. Do you it remember it at all? Creep. Yeah, I remember it very well. Creeped you out, and then creeped me not. out. And I feel it's one of those books. If I say anything about it, I'll ruin it. Okay, good. Then don't. I mean, there's, to be also, honest- there's also a very good um, masterpiece theater that was just done in the last year on oh, this no film. Kidding. All right, or on this book. I'm sorry. It is a. Um, it was a mini series. It might be four. It might be four episodes, as I remember. Anyway, it is creep-tastic. Okay, all right. I don't know what this says about me, but I'm not a big fan of mysteries in general. Oh, well, you know, I love myself a mystery. Yeah. yeah I'm all I, about it. I just kind of go, uh. Oh, and then there were none. Is such a weird, first of all, it's an awesome premise. It's one of those things, again, I can't give too many details, but all of the people, all of the players end up in one house. Hmm. Okay. On an island. 
with no. nothing around the island. It's not like no. there's another island, just like a little hop, skip, and a jump. It's like they are out there. That sounds very much like Agatha Christie. And then the whole it? thing unfolds. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, happy birthday, Agatha Christie. 130 years old. Uh, Two billion books she sold Unbelievable. well. Yeah. Let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to go to Grove City College. The president of Grove City College, Paul McNulty, will speak to us about what's happening with social unrest across the country. Stay tuned for that. The Friday edition of The Ride Home. Oh, it's Friday. Friday, Friday, oh, lovely Friday. Oh, here Okay, well, uh, Friday would be nice to take a nice drive in the country. The weather's supposed to be gorgeous. However, we'll have to wait a while for the frost to be on the pumpkin, but the Spring House is doing their annual pumpkin festival. Hey, Marsha, how you doing? Hi, guys. Great. How are you doing? Great. What's the pumpkin festival going to look like this year, Marsh? Oh, it's going to be so fun. I'm so excited. So uh, we've been working really hard all day to do all the last finishing touches. So we have our pumpkin patch hay rides that take you up to the pumpkin patch with the when you get to pick your perfect pumpkin and we have big giant tube slides up there and we have a big corn maze and a kitty corn maze and something new like a, a pool table but people are the pool sticks it's kind of fun i don't know it's different oh, and wow. um, like all kinds of all kinds of what well, we're trying to do things a little different this year so not so much handy stuff you know and we've got all kinds of sanitation stations everywhere. And we're also, um, we have our pumpkin land with all the pumpkin people outside. We have all kinds of options for people for eating so we don't have to crowd everybody into the store. We're going to have, we have a little cute yellow and white striped tent outside that is our eats and treats tent. We have all kinds of pumpkin baked goods there, plus meal, like this little piggy went to market, this little piggy had meatloaf, piggyback meal, all kinds of fun stuff like that. So it's going to be a really fun weekend, and people can know that we're going to keep them safe. We're going to do 50% on the wagons, and um, hopefully we can keep up. And that's our plan, that we'll just keep going till we get everybody up there. And I think it's going to be a great weekend. Nice. It's the pandemic edition of the Springhouse's annual pumpkin <laughs> festival this weekend, Marcia. Yep, you got it. <laughs> Fabulous. What are the times? People can show up starting when? 11 to 5, the last day ride goes out at 4.30, and the same thing on Sunday, and then on Sunday, Sunday we'll have our annual hog roast, too. Fabulous. Marcia, always a, a pleasure to have you with us. You're doing something fun all the time, so congratulations on the Pumpkin <laughs> Festival. Hope everybody shows up. The weather looks to be great. Thanks, guys. Nice to talk to you. You too, Marsh. WORD. I'm Keith Stevens. Join Donna Cruz and me this weekend for Keep the Faith. We'll share stories of the new beginnings on the road to a comeback. And I got off that phone and I looked in the mirror. I had my pink cleaning gloves on and I'm like, why not? Everyone I told my cleaning clients, I'm like, I'm going to open a cupcake shop. They're like, I hope she doesn't quit her day job. I hope you can join us for Keep the Faith tomorrow night at 10 on 101.5 Word FM, W-O-R-D. When does a person get rights? When a person is a person. All across our nation, our nation is divided. In our homes, in social media, everywhere you turn. But what is at the heart of this division? In the new movie, Divided Hearts of America, Super Bowl champion and executive producer Benjamin Watson searches for the truth. This is one of the worst possible choices that any woman and her family has to make. You'll discover why the most polarizing debate of this century boils down to the sacred dignity of human life. There is no personhood under law. We don't have that in this country. With Divided Hearts of America, 
You'll learn what you need to be armed to fight what divides us and come to a place of real unity with empathy, healing, and real hope. Be part of the change and watch Divided Hearts of America. Go to SalemNow.com to purchase. Use promo code MUSIC for 20% off. SalemNow.com, promo code MUSIC. I was a little bit surprised but so happy to see how eager patients were to return to the office. At Stock Family Dentistry, exceptional dentistry meets compassionate care. They were just as eager or more eager than we were. I think that goes back to considering them part of our family. I think they feel a part of our family, and their loyalty and their friendship means everything to us. Stock Family Dentistry, on Perry Highway in Wexford, at StockFamilyDentistry.com. It is a very difficult thing to follow along the news cycle because America is in deep and hard social unrest. Here to talk to us about that is Paul J. McNulty. Paul McNulty is the ninth president of Grove City College. Prior to returning to his alma mater, Paul McNulty spent over 30 years in Washington, D.C. as an attorney in public service and in private practice. In 2005, the United States Senate unanimously confirmed Paul McNulty to the position of Deputy Attorney General, the second in command at the United States Department of Justice and the Chief Operating Officer of the department's 100,000 employees. Paul, welcome back to the show. John, thanks very much. Good to be with you. Mm -hmm. Paul, these are difficult days. Um, For those of us who care about succeeding generations, for those of us that care about our own generation, right, we we need to figure out a way to interpret these times through a lens of um, what God would have us to learn through it um, and through the, the lens of kindness and goodness and justice. But it's hard on a daily basis to wade through it all, yeah? Absolutely. And uh, Kathy, it's good to talk to you, and I really appreciate your words to the Grove City College student body mm-hmm. just uh, a week or so ago, mm, because thanks, that's Paul. exactly what we're talking about now. It was a wonderful challenge to think and speak um, with integrity. You, you really referred to this as a public health crisis, mm-hmm. and uh, I think that was um, well said. So yes, right now we are going through a time where um, there is um, anguish and angst and um, confusion, and as our students have come back to campus to uh, get through this semester and they're dealing with all of the COVID challenges, uh, they're also observing what's going on in uh, the larger world and struggling to try to sort it all out. Yes. So we find ourselves, Paul, uh, uh, fortunate in many ways here in Western Pennsylvania, of course, other places around the country, Chicago, New York, Portland, Seattle, there have been uh, very hard, very rough riots, uh, a lot of looting and burning and all that, and and surprised that um, law enforcement in many of these cities is essentially sort of turning away, uh, like no mas, that they refuse Mm. to uh, arrest people and essentially prosecute as well. Can you speak to that? As I'm sure, uh, the former Deputy Attorney General, this was not the way it was whenever you were in office. No, no, we're definitely going through a period that's... um very different from what I experienced in the years that I was working with police. Um, I was the uh, U.S. attorney in Virginia for five years before becoming deputy and had 60 different jurisdictions, different police departments, sheriff's departments uh, that I worked with. And, you know, the police uh, experienced um, essentially a a sense of respect and um, um, honor within the community and, uh, 
and they believe that the system would work uh, as they put themselves at risk. I think what you're seeing in, in those circumstances are some concerns um, on the part of law enforcement that, um, you know, the risks are too high and that um, the criminal justice system, prosecutors in particular in those jurisdictions may not have their backs. So uh, it's just one more symptom of the larger um, meltdown we're experiencing. Yeah. You know, I think that um, our students and, and all of us um, see things that are wrong in justice, racism, police misconduct, especially in the Floyd matter in Minneapolis. And they believe that, you know, taking a stand is the courageous thing to do. But I think that they have to look close at the messages of the protests and then think about how we develop a better message in response to all of that. Yeah. And that's the difficulty, right? That requires wisdom and nuance and a lot of things it seems we in America are not getting better at, but are losing the aptitude to use. Yeah, that's right. And as you pointed out when you were on campus, the social media plays a big part of that. Um, it encourages a kind of um, speak first, think later um, way of being, and, and that's a very problematic. Uh, these protests are, you know, the message is the police are bad. We ought to defund police departments. Um, the violence and property destruction can be acceptable. Uh, the system can't be trusted. And I'm not saying that that's the views of every protester by any means, but I'm saying that you see these messages coming out of protests. And, and I think that we have to uh, encourage along the lines of what you're saying, Kathy, to, uh, for people to think about a more constructive message. And I think that starts with being empathetic and affirming the value of life, um, the, the reality that God has made everyone in his image. And so we want to have that um, empathetic, that concern for uh, anyone who, is, um, uh, who suffers at, at, as a result of some kind of um, violence or, or, um, or harm. But then to focus on what the best remedies are to that. And um, in my time at the Department of Justice, you know, I became certainly very convinced that the rule of law is the key to all of this, that we have to have fair laws and we have to have consistent enforcement of laws where equal justice under the law is pursued consistently. Uh, we have to have accountability for those who don't uh, enforce the law in that way. And, uh, and, and that strengthens the respect for the process. Um, and, and I think that ultimately brings about the kind of justice that everybody longs for. Mm-hmm. Yes. Paul, you know, in a country of 330 million people, of course, it's just a tiny, tiny, tiny percentage of people who are out in the streets uh, nightly. Uh, however, mm-hmm. you know, at not being a student of the law, uh, certainly unlike yourself, when you do see verdicts come down where you kind of scratch your head and you think, wait a second, uh, someone was murdered and charges weren't filed that were appropriate. Uh, I don't understand, you know, the sort of fine-tuning of the minutiae of, of, you know, how the system works. And I think that's probably the linchpin of what drives people crazy. You know, we look in things, and no pun intended here, you tend to look at things in black and white. And, of course, there's a lot of nuance within that, but we're ill-equipped to sort of Mm -hmm. drill down and see the nuance in society. Yeah, that's a great insight, John. Mm-hmm. It's so true. Um, so, you know, when 
we enforce the law, we have a burden of proof, we have elements of a crime that have to be individually proven up and a jury has to consider the weight of the evidence and all those things that, you know, we, we should be pretty familiar with given all the television shows and so forth that uh, illustrate <laughs> right. us all the time. You know, but the fact of the matter is, um, there seems to be uh, a lack of appreciation for that. It's one thing if we don't pursue um, prosecutions where the evidence would point to culpability, but it's another thing when we do, and then a jury, which has been chosen according to a process that is, you know, uh, enshrined in the Constitution and has been safeguarded for nearly 250 years and so forth, um, when those um, elements of the criminal justice system are at work and they don't bring the result we want, well, sometimes it could be as a result of corruption, but more often than not, it's because that's the way that the laws actually yeah. um, sort themselves out in the process. Right. And right. It's, it, again, it's very difficult to accept. But here's the key, it seems to me. We can't have it both ways. We can't have, on the one hand, um, a sort of a, a, a cry for change and accountability, which is all about public policy in one way or another, new laws, new enforcements, and so forth. But at the same time, um, have a fundamental disrespect for or distrust of um, the very system that we're calling um, on or calling for change in. And I think we have to try to find ways to um, restore mm -hmm. an appreciation for an understanding of how the criminal justice system does operate and um, and protect that rule of law, which is at the foundation of our free society. Right. That is an excellent point. And we can't have it both ways. But we're trying um, in America, it seems, to have it both ways. I think that just springs from not understanding the process. You know, I really think a lot of it is just a lack of knowledge. You know, today we were talking about, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg lying in state. Um, and, you know, I found an article about um, uh, kind of a response to the unbelievable angst that's been generated since her death about who's going to take her place. And, you know, people on the left are, you know, losing their minds and people on the right are losing their minds. And the article was basically just a survey of Americans and how much they know about the Supreme Court justices. Paul, it was a humiliation. How much, like people didn't even know who they were. And if they did know who they were, they had no idea how they voted on anything. They had no idea what they believed about it. They didn't know their judicial philosophy. They didn't know anything. But these are the same people that are ranting and raving on Twitter or Facebook about how important it is, you know, either on the right or left, who fills that slot. Yeah. And there you go again about the fact that, you know, it's, you see the, the, how the social media uh, exacerbates this problem of of um, expressing uh, without taking the time to understand uh, right. the, the, all the measure of the issue, and and that's something we we really need to try to encourage, especially again back in a, in a setting of a college campus. Uh, we really need to try to cultivate that kind of appreciation for understanding and thinking before um, you know we we um, we speak at least as best we can. Uh, you know, the, the AG of Kentucky came out and tried to give a pretty thoughtful explanation of how the grand jury process works. And none of us yeah, know for that. sure yeah. how that all played out. But at least, it mm -hmm. have, I think, acted in good faith in trying yeah. to lay that out. And he's being attacked for somehow subverting that process. Right. But, um, you know, 
Paul calls us in Romans 13 to have a respect for government's authority that God has established. And I think that we should approach as Christians with a, a sense of, of, of fundamental respect for that. And that has to be essentially overcome by a weight of evidence that suggests that the system has been corrupted in some way that is worthy of, of, of the kind of attacks we're seeing. Yes. So then, then how do we, especially as believers of Jesus Christ, how do we look at, talk about, engage with, and work through a world that is sorely lacking in compassion and mercy and truth? I mean, you know, because look, I mean, here we are, Paul, you and Kath and I, we're three white people. We, we have not walked the mile in black America's shoes. I, I can't say that I understand that. And so, you know, whenever George Floyd, the murder first perpetrated itself, you know, Kath and I made every effort to invite a wide range of, of, of voices, white and black, but especially black voices. And, and a lot of our listeners were very unhappy with the things that they heard, but we were committed to listening. And I think, you know, before we jump to a conclusion already made up in our minds by, you know, the decades of who we are as people, it is a necessary thing to listen and listen through a Christian lens of mercy and compassion. Yeah, and I, I commend you for that, because I think that's, that is important, an important part of a godly response is to, has to have genuine empathy and at least a willingness to listen, but to understand what is um, really being communicated it may not be communicated in the most um, effective way, but there's um, but there's a, a concern there that has to be understood, and um, and so I, I think there's more that can be done there to to um, to demonstrate that that sincere uh, desire to understand um, different perspectives and to mm-hmm. be again very empathetic over the suffering and difficulty that uh, people experience, and I think then it becomes a question of what are we trying to accomplish together? You know, what is the, what is the, um, the end of all of this? And I think the end of all of this is a society that is a just one, one where the laws have been um, established in a way that is fair and understandable and that the enforcement of those laws is not subject to corrupt or prejudicial or other ways that are, are um, uh, inappropriate. And if we can agree on that, then I think it's, how do we get there? And there's some, you know, we're losing an opportunity to have an important conversation about some significant things in policing. I mean, I'm as big a supporter of law enforcement as you'll find, but I believe that we can have serious conversations about policies and tactics and training that could actually reduce police misconduct, which does occur. And we're missing some of that opportunity because we are um, uh, seeing uh, violence, uh, property destruction, uh, obscure uh, the the significance of those uh, those key issues, and and we're also um, attacking the policing as a whole, which is uh, um, unnecessary and inappropriate. So uh, that's the shame of it all. I think we could make progress if we could um, uh, find a way to um, get past the more destructive uh, instincts that uh, we're seeing. Yeah. And that's, I know, what you're trying to encourage, that type of conversation um, up on Grove City's campus. I heard from uh, Colin Messer that, you know, I think it was the night that I was there speaking at chapel, um, there was going to be a campus-wide discussion on race and racial issues and um, what students have experienced and, you know, the conclusions that they're coming to. Uh, tell us about how, about how that's going on campus. 
Yeah, we want to make sure that um, all of our students see this as a community that is about caring, support, love for one another. And, and given all that's been happening, we know that our minority students, many of them are carrying a lot of weight from all that. And we want to make an effort this semester to do things that will um, be especially supportive. And um, we also want to have honest conversations about hard issues because a lot of discussion is going on about racism and, and the past. And so we have some speakers coming to campus or speakers from campus who will be talking in our chapel in October. And there'll be some hard um, information covered. And, uh, um, but we can't be afraid of ideas and a willingness to consider. And there are some, uh, certainly some um, realities of the church's failure in the past that is really mm-hmm. important for us to come to grips with. I read Mark Tisby's book this summer um, mm-hmm. about the racism in the church, and I felt very convicted by that history, and he's going to be speaking on campus, and oh, um, we have to come to that with an open heart. But at the same time, we also have to be willing to think uh, and think deeply, and, um, and that's something that uh, we're going to be uh, trying to do together as we um, hear from different perspectives. Outstanding. Paul McNulty is with us. He's the president at Grove City College. Paul, before you leave us, would you take a minute and talk to us about Grove City and uh, how you've been working through COVID uh, amongst the campus? Uh, It's certainly a a very dicey thing, and it's a tightrope that you've been walking on. Yeah, thank you, John. It certainly has been, and um, we're very blessed. Uh, We've been doing just um, the kinds of things that we see everywhere, but we've been taking those precautions very seriously our students are cooperating nicely with all of that, and as a result, uh, we've had very little difficulty here. You know, we have 2,000 students living side-by-side side as residents of this campus in about 150 acres and over 500 employees. So we are a large community in some ways for the space we're on, and uh, we've only had um, two students um, uh, test positive so far and three employees going back to March. Um, so uh, we've been very uh, blessed to not have uh, uh, any um, big spread, and uh, we've had students that have been in and out of quarantine, but right now we have um, uh, no one in quarantine. Um, and, uh, and so as we come to the close of September, uh, we're very we're thankful for that. But it's going to require continued diligence uh, over the next about eight weeks before Thanksgiving, and uh, time's going by fast. And... Um, uh, and if we can continue to, um, uh, you know, I think it requires uh, submissive and uh, selfless attitudes on the part of students because it's inconvenient and in some cases. Um, but the students are thrilled to be back together again and just in mm-hmm. that learning community that we love here. And I think their, their excitement about that is enough to uh, motivate them to, um, you know, put up with some sacrifice and, and uh, inconvenience. And so... Uh, we we feel very blessed as far as where we are right now. Hmm. That's wonderful news. That's uh, Paul McNulty. He's the ninth president of Grove City College. Uh, Paul joins us on a monthly basis. Paul, we very much appreciate your time and especially all the attention and care that you put into the Grove City community. So thank you so much. Thanks, Kathy, for saying that. I appreciate it. Nice talking to both of you. Bye-bye. Well, Paul. Thank you. Let us take a, a quick break and come back uh, Friday. We can talk a little football because okay. it's a historic weekend for women in football. Uh, news next. The Ride Home with Johnny Cappy on Word of M. 
First Presbyterian Church is a beacon of light and love to this community. The message that I hear sustains me for the whole week. I love this church because of the diversity and the music and the people. The incredible beauty of the space. A warm, welcoming congregation. The people are amazing and truly love one another and Christ and our pastor preaches the gospel. I want everybody to Pittsburgh to come and experience. First Presbyterian Church of Pittsburgh in the heart of the city with the city in its heart. Studies show decades of increased taxpayer spending per student has failed to improve educational performance. Can't we do better? Pittsburgh's Christian schools say we can. If you're looking for a safe environment for kids to learn, challenge, and grow, where character matters and academic excellence is served by highly qualified teachers who partner with parents, consider Christian education. Right now, local Christian schools are offering half-price tuitions for first-time enrollees while they last at wordfm.com slash tuitions. This radio station accepts political advertising. In fact, we are required to do so by federal law. We understand that not all of our listeners will agree with statements or positions taken by all of these candidates and sometimes neither do we. This radio station is an important part of this community, and therefore the candidates want to bring their message to you via our airwaves. We do so as a public service, and we are required to do so. Regardless of your position on these issues, please make sure you register to vote so your voice is heard. If you're a believer in Jesus, then you know the power of what community is all about. There is something about everyone moving in the same direction, or at least trying to move in the same direction. The goal is always grace and forgiveness and peace in Jesus Christ. Now, when you look at the pandemic across America, and especially in the recent higher education rise of pandemic cases, you know things are off the charts. Well, look at Grove City College because people are moving in the same direction. And I'm not saying this is going to last forever, but right now the pandemic is very low key at Grove City College because I believe the power of community and that nature that everyone is together. That's why we're thrilled, Kath and I, that both our kids attend Grove City College right now. Yeah, you're right, John, because things can change at any time. We've seen this, right, story after story over the last six months. But I join with you in saying that I'm confident that at least there is a concerted effort of people trying. There's an administration that is really behind a consistent, solid plan, and they're being really good about following through. I mean, there's not much more we can do in times like this other than have a plan and try to stick to it, and they are. Right. And the students get the message and they're working it too. Excellence in action. Look online at Grove City College, gcc.edu. That's Grove City. Listen on your smart speaker, the Word FM app at wordfm.com, iHeart, tune in, and on radio.com, in the car or at home too, at 101.5 WORDFM, Pittsburgh. Tonight. Mainly clear with a low 56. Tomorrow, clouds and sunshine with a high 77. Tomorrow night, clear to partly cloudy and mild with a low 60. Sunday, warm with the temperature approaching the record of 82 last reached in 2019, with sun and clouds and a high 81. With your AccuWeather forecast, I'm Gregory Patrick. Sunday will be a historic day for women on the NFL sidelines. For the first time in NFL history, there will be two female coaches on the sideline and a female official on the field. Jennifer King is in her first season on the Washington staff, the the unnamed Washington. The Washington Football Club. Yes, while Callie Bronson is the chief of staff for the Browns. And um, 
Good for her. That's very That's cool, not right? going very well for Kel, but. No, it's not. Okay. Uh, however, there is a, a new, uh, no, I'm sorry, this is not, this woman who is the, um, the sideline official. Uh, Kath, do you know anything about her? Um, I understood that she was from Pittsburgh. She is a Pittsburgher. Uh, I, let me see. I don't think I know her name here. Uh, That's all I know. I'm sorry. I think she's trying to keep a low profile and who can blame her? She just wants to do her job. She's such a low profile. And not be known as first woman NFL official. I guess so, right? Yeah, so uh, that'll be uh, the Browns game uh, later on uh, on Sunday. So that's I very panned cool. the Browns a little bit. I mean, they are one and one, so I guess I shouldn't pan them. They beat Cincinnati, but still, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're the Browns. It's the Browns. Good it's grief. Get out of here. You're going to watch? The Steelers are playing? Houston. Yeah, how is Houston? Houston Texans. They won uh, one? I actually don't know what the record is, but mm-hmm. their quarterback is oh, they're two and oh. really okay. scary. He's a great player. So. All right. Uh, no. 0-2. Oh, they're 0-2. Oh, they're oh, they're, are they 0-2? Oh are they? Okay. They haven't won yet? Who'd they play? Mm. Mike, have you lifted? Have you lifted your curfew on uh, watching some football? Or are you still, you know, going to protest? I have. Uh, I've lifted my curfew. Great. Uh, he's he's given up his moral I high ground. Lifted my curfew, and uh, you're right. The Texans are zero and two. Um, I forget. And Deshaun Jackson is still a beast. Okay. Yes, and All Deshaun right. Jackson is still a beast. And does anybody know? Is that a one o'clock game or a four o'clock game? Mm. Well, I think it's here. Right? Okay. Is it so- here? I don't. I actually don't even know where. It doesn't yeah. matter where. There's we're no the worst th- football fans ever. We don't know anything about what we're talking yeah. about. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Yeah, thanks a lot, you guys. Great. Sorry. Let's take look. a break. Okay. All right. Maybe when we'll we come find- back, it's the weekend review. John, I look back at the next seven days and talk about what. <laughs> talk yeah, about what's what. Horrible. It's just a horrible segment. We knew nothing. So you can tell us ahead of time if you want to prepare a bit. What do you mean? It's yeah, on the clock. Jeez. WORD. The station with Pittsburgh's favorite Christian music every weekend. With the best new music. New New music. New music from Josh Baldwin. Evidence. Start right here from Casting Crown. It's gotta start right here. And Truth Be Told by Matthew West. So let the truth be told. The best new music and Pittsburgh's favorites. Brought to you by Trinity Jewelers and Dennis Spira and Associates. 101.5 WORD. On the weekend. If you're in HR, you're probably wearing a lot of hats. Recruiter, team builder, trainer, mediator, policymaker, and of course, paper pusher. But not anymore. Bamboo HR is the number one HR software for small and medium businesses. It manages all your employee data easily and automates countless tasks. So you can focus on people, not paperwork. Bamboo HR frees you from spreadsheets so you can do your real job, creating a great place to work. If the data shuffle and paperwork mountain have you ready to hang up all your hats, you're ready for Bamboo. If you handle HR records and paperwork, Bamboo HR is a dream. Let us free up your time and put your days of pushing paperwork behind you so you can focus on the people and making your company a great place to work for everyone. Try PC Magazine's top pick for HR software free today. Just go to BambooHR.com slash HR. This is a limited offer, only available to radio listeners at BambooHR.com slash HR. 
That's bamboohr.com slash HR. Hi, this is Joe Belanti with J&D Waterproofing at 1-800-BERRY-DRY. In honor of our 81 years serving the tri-state area, we are offering great savings for all our new and past customers. Call 1-800-BERRY-DRY. That's 1-800-BERRY-DRY to get your savings on basement waterproofing, bowing or cracking walls, and or footer stabilization projects. Or visit us at jdwaterproofing.com. J&D Waterproofing, family-owned and operated. Since 1939. Hi, I'm John Henney from Henney Jewelers. Since 1887, my family has helped people celebrate the most memorable moments in their lives. We are rooted in faith and commit to doing the right thing again and again. We believe in the covenant of marriage and use our to have and to hold program to encourage couples as they prepare to spend the rest of their lives together. Please stop into our Shadyside store to learn more or visit HenneyJewelers.com. Henny Jewelers, your jewelers for life. You run a business and you need better wireless. Three words, no more compromise. With the T-Mobile Business Advantage, you get the largest 5G network, award-winning customer support, and insanely great value. No trade-offs. Right now, get up to 90 days of unlimited free on business plans when you switch via bill credits. Stop in to find out more. Plus taxes and fees for some plans. Complete port within 60 days. Customers over 50 gigabytes per month have lower speeds during congestion. Video at 480p, unlimited on our network. See T-Mobile.com for 5G devices coverage and plan details. It's been another week. That means it's time for John and Kathy's Week in Review. What was everyone talking about this week? Well, I would say everyone was talking about RBG and the Supreme Court, would you say? Mm -hmm. I agree. All right. Mike? What was a conversation that made you think? Hmm. There were a lot of options this week, John, but I had to go to Tuesday, uh, the 535 slot on our show. Tony Woodleaf joined That's mine, too. No. How many times in the last month have we picked the same one? That's exactly it. Tony Woodleaf. Gosh. This is how you will heal the wound. It is such an unbelievable essay. It was a great conversation. You should pass it along to everyone you know. You should read it 10 times. I read it out loud on our front porch to my husband last night. It's on our Facebook page. It is just, it is profound and beautiful and difficult and a high bar and a tall mountain to climb. But, oh, my gosh, it's so good. This is how you will heal the wound. As Cass said, it is on our Facebook page. Next. What did you eat? Yeah. Um, you know, I've been eating, I've had this, we had a once, I think, what's it? We had a once on Wednesday, then we had leftovers last night. My wife makes this thing called Vindaloo, which mm. is Indian India. curry. It's this fiery, spicy dish. You know, you can sort of add as you want to go on, but the stuff she made this week was with the, these little small potatoes, green beans, yellow peppers, and lamb over a bed of rice. Fabulous. Highly recommended. Wow. Rhonda June and her Vindaloo. That's what I Thank ate this you, week. Rhonda June. Well, speaking mm-hmm. of lamb, listen. Yeah. I was at the strip today. Yeah. Minding my own business. And my friend William, who owns the uh, Labad's uh, Middle Eastern Grocery, oh. said, hey, Kathy, how about a gyro? Oh. And I said, you know what? I can't. I'm, what? You know, I'm, I'm really, you know, I'm not putting on the COVID-15. I really can't. And he's like, okay, well, just, just have a taste of the lamb. Yeah. Mm. So he handed me a taste of the lamb. Well, five minutes later, I had myself a gyro in the car on the way home. Listen, it was so delicious. That now, or you call it a hero, however you want to pronounce it. I don't care. I think that could be my favorite meal, period. Really? 
Now, I'll see that because I used to live in a Greek neighborhood in right. New York City. I would go buy the gyro and I would do a souvlaki. Which is also delicious. Mm, it's fabulous. De- but it doesn't have the lettuce tomato. Oh, it does. A souvlaki does, does, yeah. Lettuce, tomato, and a yogurt sauce. Right. Some people put onion thing. on it as well. Okay, so what's the difference? The, the lamb. is the little cubes, right? Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Oh, see, I do. I like the, I like the whole thing. I just aren't you surprised it. how people uh, sort of turned off by lamb? I love it. It's my favorite. Oh it, my given gosh. my choice, I'd have that over anything. Absolutely delicious. Next. Okay, next. What did you watch? I watched uh, a very disturbing, very interesting documentary called The Social Dilemma. And any kind of thought that you may have had, negative, nefarious, they're taking over the world, social media, it's in there. And it is a brutal examination of Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our addiction and those whose job it is to make us addicted. The Social Dilemma. Check it out. All right. I finished watching the fifth season of Poldark, which is a uh, it's a series based on a classic uh, set of historical books that were written in Britain about the end of the Revolutionary War, but not in on the American side, on the British side. And um, it, it's just the most beautiful series. I, I, I lost interest in it, John, to be honest with you, after like the third series and I kind of stopped and then. Last week, I thought, well, I should just go back and finish that. It's yeah. it's filmed on location in Cornwall. It's epic. That's really? the only word I can give. The, the show is epic. Anyway, I did finish the fifth season. I'm glad it's over because I feel like it kind of did its thing. But boy, if you have never watched Poldark, I mean, it stars like the two most beautiful people in Britain, I think, perhaps in the history of Britain. Really? And it's just a really wonderful, thought-provoking show. So I give it a four out of five stars, Poldark. Very nice. What hacked you off? Listen. What hacks me off? Go ahead. You go. No, I want you get hacker. No, because I'm all right. So I'm just so hacked off. I, I was a big supporter of the governor when the whole coronavirus thing started because nobody knew what they were doing. There was no playbook. I get that. Nobody had a procedure to follow. But this 250 people max at outdoor events is on my last nerve. So I can have 250 people in my backyard. And we can have 250 people at Heinz Field. No, come on. How much sense does that make? And you can't go and see a high school football game, right? Because the governor just says so. It's willy-nilly, just like an opinion. Don't get me started. But that's not not why I'm hacked off, but that's why you're hacked off. That's why I'm hacked off. Why are you hacked off? I'm hacked off because a couple of times this week, I've come upon this, I don't know what to call it, Christians wishing other Christians ill will. Hmm. We are supposed to be brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, look, I know, you know, no one's perfect. I'm raising my hand here. We all can be idiots. But man, it's become a sport of self-righteousness. Christians just crushing on other Christians and taking delight in it. Stop, please. Before you lash out, especially with your brothers and sisters, would you just pray? Just pray. Change yourself first. That's what hacks me off. What was the best news you heard this week? Ken? Well, I've heard a lot of good news, but the thing that came first to my mind is that the Pittsburgh Steelers are optimistic about having some fans in the stands at Heinz Field in October. Okay. 
Did I don't want to have 60,000 people. I'm not saying I want to be some crazy person, you know, unmasked, you know, nutty Steeler fan. I, I'm yep. not saying that. But I'm saying I think we could probably do a little better than having to, you know, an empty stadium in times like this. Like, figure we can figure it out. Be adults. Be responsible. Show up. Be distant. And enjoy a football yeah. game. I'd love to go. Wouldn't you love to go? Yes. It'd be kind of weird, but I'd love to go. Okay. Um Best news I heard this week, you know how you follow along people on Twitter and people, you know, I don't know people, but because um, other people like them that mm-hmm. I know. Yes. Well, a, a couple of weeks ago, there was a little photograph of this little girl, Francesca, and she's a baby and she has a, a brain tumor. Mm. And, you know, you read that and you kind of go, oh, okay. anyway, I've been following along with her every day and they're showing photographs of this little baby Francesca. Anyway, she had an operation. They believe that they got the tumor off of this little baby mm-hmm. and there's a photograph of her <laughs> and she's smiling into the camera. Oh. I haven't gone through this brutal, uh, brutal surgery. So I've been praying for this little girl, mm-hmm. Francesca. If you go about your life today and you pray for Francesca as well, that you know this brain tumor would stay away from her forever and she would die a, an old, old woman mm-hmm. nine decades from now, that'd be fabulous. So praying for Francesca. And in closing, you two have anything meaningful for us? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was just kind of immersed today, um, just thinking about just the difficulties of things and not just COVID, but also just thinking about, you know, babies like Francesca and, you know, friends we know, John, who are going through really difficult times and whether it's illness or it's depression or it's anxiety or moms and dads who feel like they can't be a teacher and they can't be a parent at the same time, and they're called. They're supposed to be doing both right now, and they can't manage it anyway. Um, so I came upon Psalm one twenty six, which is so wonderful, and it's short. So I think I'll read the whole thing. Are you okay Please with do. that? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Psalm twenty six said this. Says this. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, "The Lord has done great things for them." The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. So restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Mm, There's There's hope for the future. What is that, Psalm 1? 126. Very nice. So in my readings, um, today I was reading Ecclesiastes. Um, and of course, you know, Ecclesiastes um, 3, um, a time for everything, right? I won't read it, but it, it's beautiful. People think, you know, they know it. But, you know, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up what is planted. It, it's it's world famous. Many Christians, you know, they would they would, you know, recite this not knowing that it was from the Bible. But I've been thinking about time. We were talking about this last week as well, you know, that uh, our time is not God's time. And so we're stuck together in this pandemic and how brutal it is and how we are so impatient. But you think of millions, billions have gone before us and they had to suffer through their Mm -hmm. own suffering in their own time. So let this be a time that is hopeful in many ways and not filled with the despair that be patient, that our time is coming to us as God deems it to be. And we are here because God says we should be. So this time is our time. That's what we've got this week. 
And that's John and Cappy's Week in Review. When it comes to higher education, it's worth considering a Christian university or college, one that reaffirms students' faith instead of tearing it down. Research shows that students who attend a Christian college can become significantly more committed to their faith, and that's an important investment to make. You care about the type of people who are teaching the classes and the content and perspective of the courses just as much as you do about the strength of the academics. It matters that Christian faith is supported and shared. Find out about many schools at once by attending the free Christian College Fair with representatives Representatives of colleges and universities from across North America. Start planning now. Take advantage of the opportunity to meet with representatives from top Christian colleges throughout the country. Learn about financial aid, scholarship opportunities, and more. Take your first step to a Christian college education at Orchard Hill Church in Wexford, Saturday, September 26th from 11 to 1. That's the Pittsburgh Christian College Fair, Saturday, September 26th at Orchard Hill Church in Wexford from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Please adhere to COVID-19 guidelines. We're all thinking a lot more about staying safe these days. Windows R Us Pittsburgh is no different. When it comes to working around your home, Windows R Us remains committed to the safety of you and your family. For roofs, gutters, and downspouts, siding, and of course, windows, Windows R Us Pittsburgh can answer the call. With over 50 years of home remodeling experience, Windows R Us has earned its reputation as the area's premier exterior replacement company. And all work will be done in strict compliance with the government's social distancing guidelines. If you've had damage, you may be eligible for free repair or replacement. Visit windowsaroundspittsburgh.com for a free inspection from one of the highly trained appraisers. You'll love their no-pressure approach, no hidden fees, and one of the fastest turnaround times in the industry. From a company that will never skip town when it comes to honoring their warranty. Why pay double? Trust the area's premier exterior replacement company. WindowsRUsPittsburgh.com. That's WindowsRUsPittsburgh.com. Hey, this is Owen Strand with a quick word on the upcoming election. So much of what we care about is at stake. Religious liberty, all of our First Amendment freedoms, the cause of life and reliable judges, rule of law, even civil order. Make sure you're registered and prepared to vote, whether at the polling place or by absentee ballot. Our nation is at a crossroads. And every vote counts. Don't sit this election out. Welcome back to Customize and Save with Liberty Mutual Insurance Company, the game show where you only pay for what you need. And we're out of time. Only pay for what you need at LibertyMutual.com. Liberty, 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 Liberty. Hurry, kids, we're late for school. Dance practice, move Um, Mom, I'm supposed to be at karate. Find out how other families have dealt with the crisis of chaos on our online parenting forum. Just go to family.org slash parenting. Focus on the family. Helping families thrive. Before the break, in our weekend review, I talked about the fact that Looks like we've got good news coming for Heinz Field in October. The Pittsburgh Steelers say, and this is according to WPXI.com, they're optimistic about having some fans in the stands. Quote, as we previously announced, we will not have any fans at our home games in September. However, we remain optimistic about hosting a limited amount of fans at Heinz Field, beginning with our game against the Eagles on October 11th. Mm. Uh, Also, the University of Pittsburgh announced uh, that there will be no fans in attendance for the two home games. But I heard um, Coach Narduzzi come out and today and say that he said quote i am begging you governor wolf 
I am begging you to let us have fans at Heinz Field. Okay. I mean, how many people? Look, there were 16,000 in attendance in Kansas City on the right. opening football uh, game. So that and that seats 60 to 70,000 people. You could do a few people in there without any. What the heck? I don't get it. All right. Hey, uh, just a little breaking news. We just read that uh, President Trump has indeed nominated uh, Amy Comey Barrett uh, for the Supreme Court seat. Thought that was going to come. God so. bless her. Imagine yeah. what her life is going to turn into over the next Can month. you? Who wants to no, cannot... sign up for that? No, I wouldn't. I just. The brutality that's about oh, to be visited upon God her, on her and, and the press and every and other she's politician. Got, she's, got a, she's got a bunch of kids, right? I mean, uh, yeah, oh. There's seven kids. Oh, my gosh. Imagine what the. Mm-hmm, yeah. Okay, listen to this. Uh, you know, we're all familiar with the uh, ice cream truck as it rumbles down the street, you know, playing a little nursery rhyme or whatnot. There's a, a young woman here in Pittsburgh who's got a coffee van, mm. and she is asking the, the coffee van is Black Forge Coffee. She is asking local musicians to craft a song, a heavy metal song that will be played as the van zooms down the street. <laughs> um, she said um, she's looking uh-huh. for the jingle to be fast and heavy, um, stoner or doomy. Nice. I would like to see a what the heck? truck. A doomy coffee truck. I yeah. like it. I, I like it. Okay. Hey, listen, thanks as always for being with us. Uh, we certainly appreciate your presence here daily for being part of our broadcast family. Podcast is up and running. Have yourself a great, relaxing weekend, and God willing, we'll see you Monday. Bye, Kath. Bye, Mike. The Ride Home with John and Kathy, a production of Salem Media Group. <laughs>